Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 624. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because it'll help you to feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show... Um, will you um, tease it for us? Sure. We're going to talk about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and cognitive distortions. CBT. You got it. And we're going to talk about that because I, you know, kind of going into cult thinking again, kind of like we did last week, cognitive distortions are a big part of it, but it's also not just in cultic type situations everybody experiences cognitive distortions mm-hmm. or i mean i can't say that for sure the vast majority of us most do. of us and those are what create a lot of our anxiety our depression our challenges and just the way we view the world overall all right that sounds interesting it is but first we're going to talk about a zen parenting moment sweetie oh which one oh. heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who Sweetie, name the band. Ario Speedwagon. Name the song. Take it on the run. Name the album. High Fidelity. Oh my god. Oh no no, High Infidelity. Oh my god, how do you know that? Because I had the album, duh. Oh, yeah, but it was also 45 years ago. Dude, it was Ario Speedwagon. Um, so Kathy does these Zen parenting, Zen parenting moments that come out twice a week. The only way to do it, you can't go to the website, everybody. You've got to sign it, sign up for it on zenparentingradio.com. All you got to do is click on the link. Tuesdays and Fridays, it's a short essay. I don't know what you yeah, call it. Yeah, well, I the way I look at it is it's kind of a, a way to think, talk about cognitive distortions. Like it's kind of trying to take us the other way where can we think about the challenges of our everyday lives in a different way, maybe through a new lens. And I write about something that I'm practicing and um, it covers every base, like parenting, anxiety, relationships with our partner, our parents, um, the world overall. So so you start this Zen, ter- Zen parenting moment saying, I was driving to my mom's the other day and noticed I've been thinking about someone else's problem for over 30 minutes. <laughs> you want to say more? Well, don't you ever do that? Have you ever found like- I think we spend most of our time on other people's issues. Yeah, but have you ever been like really trying to figure out someone else's problem for like a significant amount Prob- of time? Probably. And then you realize what you're doing and you're like, okay, why- am I spending this car ride thinking about how I should solve someone else's problem? That makes no sense because not only am I processing through someone else's issue that I can't literally process through, then I have to figure out what they should do and how I should tell them what they should do. None of which is being invited, meaning nobody asked me. Yeah. Um, All right. I think that's a good summary. Anything else you want to say about that moment? Um, just that the, the thing I did to kind of close the loop on that was I rolled down the window and just kind of let the problem go out the window and then just kind of took a deep breath and said, moving on. And we want to give a shout out to Hunter Clark, right? I think you told me that we wanted to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. The program I told you about is a mindful parenting teacher certification and it's perfect for therapists, teachers, doulas, or coaches. Yeah. I just did a, um, podcast, uh, Hunter Clark Fields, honey. Sorry. Whole name, please. Sorry about the fields. Um, yeah, she does the mindful mama mentor program and then she has her podcast and I just did an interview with her for my book and she was telling me about this program that she's running and it 
is really like the people who listen to this show, I think would be really interested in it. So I just told her I would let people know. So where does it say that they should go? We'll put it in the show notes. Just click on the link. Okay. So will you say it one more time? Uh, it is uh, be a mindful parenting coach, change lives and earn an income. So it's a coaching program. Yeah. All right. Um, and tomorrow night, uh, we are doing, uh, Men Living is doing a workshop on psychedelics. So if you're interested, go uh, just click on the link in the show notes below. Um, so with that, we wanted to have some fun before we got into the the gist. Well, it's spooky season, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in spooky season, um, we try to watch... A lot of spooky things. We actually have some nice decorations outside the house, and inside the house we have a lot of spiders. We've named them all. Yeah. They all have names. What are some of the names? <clears throat> Let's see. We have the big, huge spider that we found a jewel. His name's Herman. And then we found another spider that's a little smaller than Herman, so we call him Baby Herms. Mm-hmm. And then we have some ghosts and... Seems like Herman seems to be a popular name for spiders. <laughs> I know. And then I saw somebody on TikTok. They have the exact same spider, and they named him Jimmy, which I thought was funny because, you know, the whole idea of Jimmy legs, you know, spiders have a lot of legs. Jimmy's going to get you, Kramer. Jimmy's, Jimmy's going to get you. So anyway, I wanted you to tell me. I got two resources. What do you I, mean resources? Well, two ideas, movies, TV okay, shows. Okay, so two spooky season yeah, Things these are invitations to our listeners to watch something. Great. And I think one of them may overlap. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. Midnight Mass. Right. We did a pop culturing. It's a Netflix series. It's, I think, seven episodes. Uh-huh. I don't want to build up your expectations too much. Just watch it. So Midnight Mass is on Netflix, like Todd said. It is, I don't, it's been out for a while now, so maybe you know stuff about it. But if you don't, do not read about it. Just jump in. And I think if you listen to this show, you will appreciate the um, the messages that this show is trying to offer, mm-hmm. Midnight Mass. And even though one thing I will tell you, because even if you look at the picture, there's a priest, it does focus around religion, but it's not just about religion. Yeah. It's about any, you know, it's kind of like what we're talking about today, about when people get too focused on certain beliefs and then they can't see anything else. So- Midnight Mass. What's your other one? Um, I got to stick with... um, So anyway, can I say again, Pop Culturing, that's our other podcast. Mm -hmm. Not only did we do Midnight Mass, but Cameron and Skylar joined us for the discussion about Midnight Mass. So Cameron is 16, Skylar's 14. The show is not for kids, but teenagers, fine. And um, so go there and listen to that. We should put that in the show notes as well. Sure. Okay. So my other one, because Midnight Mass is a Mike Flanagan... Um, production, Mm -hmm. I have to go with The Haunting of Hill House again. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, as we discuss a lot on the pop culturing um, Midnight Mass, I'm a huge fan of Mike Flanagan's work. Um, Ditto that. He takes very, very scary things and makes it meaningful. So everybody that I have said you know, I've told them, watch Midnight Mass or watch Haunting of Hill House. They're like, yeah, but is it scary? I'm like, yeah, but it's worth your time scary. It's not Saw mm-hmm. scary. It's not like just Friday the 13th scary. It's scary with a message. It wakes you up. There's and, – and, you know, the horror in these shows – are really everyday experiences, right? Sure. Like it looks horrifying because don't we all have like terror-filled, horrifying thoughts? Um, And so he puts that in film. 
But the truth is, it's everyday situations. Um, I feel like we should put on our vision board to get him on the podcast. I know he's like Mr. Everywhere. <laughs> I was going to say, you think Mike Flanagan? Well, it's not like it's Tom Parenting? Hanks, you know, like it, he's, there's probably some accessibility and I think it's one in a hundred, but you know, sometimes people do weird things like be on our little podcast. Well, you never know. Right. And I would love Wouldn't that to be, talk like to him. Like how exciting would that be to talk with this guy? I don't know if there's anyone else I'd t- like to talk to right now. Like Oprah? Well, sure. There's a million people. But what I mean is where we've been focused lately, like the whole idea that we like the cross of self-awareness with pop culture, with scary movies, with um, deep meaning. Like, is there anything better? So if anybody happens to be best friends with Mike Flanagan, <laughs> you got um, an in? let us know. Well, he's got so many things coming up. He's got another one coming up on Netflix. And then, so I have one more though. Sure. And you already played the music, but you know, you got to kick it back to Halloween, the original Halloween, which my kids have been kind of wanting to watch, but I feel like um, it's so scary that do I really want to subject, like JC's already seen it. JC's home for fall break, by the way, our college student. Um, But do I really want to subject... Skyler and Cameron. I don't know. Do you want to subject them to us and get out and all these other crazy things we've had them watch? I know. Did you watch the thing on Netflix about the making of Halloween? No. Oh, it's pretty good because basically the gist of it is, is that the movie Halloween was made for like no money. Yeah. Like they, nobody in it was making any money and they had like they had to like do tricks with the camera and they had to have people who were working on the movie be in the movie and they had to like it was just kind of, I don't want to say it was like a fiasco because they pulled it together, but it's really interesting. It's on, there's a Netflix um, show called like the movies we love movies or something. We love. Yeah. I watched yeah. the Forrest Gump one. You did? And it turns out that in the original book or screenplay, Forrest Gump was supposed to go up to go up into space <laughs> and he had like a pet orangutan. <laughs> like so random. Yeah, it's all right that they cut that part um, I want to focus on, I think it's a Hulu show called What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yeah. Um, will you explain the premise of What We Do in the Shadows very quickly? So very quickly, it was originally a movie about three vampires and how they are living in this time. Yeah, like 2020 or And how they are like, Just how navig- they experiencing their lives and navigating their lives. Yeah. And the movie was made into a show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on FX, and we are in season three. I, I, I don't know, um, but it's very funny. It's it's a comedy, and if you would have explained <laughs> this to me, I'm like, I have no interest in the show. And then you had me watch one. I'm like, oh my god, this might be good. And then, uh, but there's two like normal people intermixed with the three vampires, which makes it really funny. Like that's right. There's actually three. There's four vampires. There's the three traditional vampires, oh. and then there's the energy vampire, which is Colin Robinson. Yeah. And then there's Guillermo, which is their the house helper who wears like Cosby sweaters. They and actually all that, but he they have a name for it. He is the vampire. Oh my god, people listening are gonna be annoyed. I don't know. There's a word for Doesn't it. Doesn't matter. I'm just want to play a little YouTube clip <laughs> okay. on Nandor the. Relentless. Okay. And it's in two separate things, so I might have to splice it together. I was a soldier in the Ottoman Empire, which meant a lot of killing. I was relentless. They would call me Nando the Relentless because I just never relent. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! Now that we are like some of that uh, colorful dust that sparkles. Glitter? Yes. I'm going to sprinkle it on my face and on my body. Like twilight. 
deliciously macabre. Creepy paper. Creepy paper. Creepy paper. Creepy paper, master? Creepy. Oh, multi-pack. It's all his fault. I got all this effort to get the creepy paper. I get the It's creepy paper. So, okay, first of all, Guillermo is the familiar. Okay. That's what he's called. Very good, sweetie. Um... That is Nandor. I think is my favorite, but that's hard because oh, it's very difficult to pick your favorite vampire. I know, and it's it like it takes a show or two to get in. And mm-hmm. let me say this: it's got some violence in it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when the Baron comes? And it all seems like funny violence, though. Like it's not meant to be scary, but it's a little shocking. I don't occasionally. remember. I don't remember a little bit. I believe you though. Yes. So, but anyway, it's worth it. And I think season three is out. And Todd and I. <clears throat> excuse me, have not watched it yet, even though it's been out for a month or two, because when we go on vacation, we're going to... Watch it. We're going to watch it. We're going to... What's it called? Binge it. Binge. Thank you. Oh, my God. How's your lady brain doing? My words are not coming. Um, but yes, we're going to binge it. All right. So we are 13 minutes in, and we haven't even begun the show. That's okay. So honey. let's begin. Let's begin at the beginning. Okay. So we're going to talk about cognitive distortions. So we're going to talk about these because... Again, this um, we got a lot of feedback about our podcast last week. We were talking about jargon and cult-like thinking, and there were a lot of people who were like, hey, that's interesting. And I'm like, hello, I know. It is interesting, right? Yes. Why are we playing this song? So please? every time you guys hear that music, you know we're gonna like launch into cult discussion. Okay, so that's like our that's our giveaway, and really, what is most important about these discussions, and I think you guys picked this up from last week, is even though when we're talking about cults or abusive relationships, we may say, "Well, that's extreme. That's not me." It's kind of like a pyramid. Do you know what I mean? It's a little like any kind of cultural Mm. um, understanding of that. You can very slowly move in to cult-like thinking without realizing what you're doing. And so to me as a therapist and as somebody who has watched this and experienced this with people and experienced it myself, I like to pay attention to the nuances of it. So people start to understand because why, why, why? Because right now in our country, we have a lot of people who have cult-like thinking. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? They're very black and white thinking. They're very blaming. They're very assuming that their way is the only way. There is a, a inability or um, a lack of desire to even connect with people who think differently. And we have become very isolated from each other. If it, it if it's political, if it's religious, if it's like community, if it's race, if it's like, you know, even talking about something that used to be that I would think we'd all agree on. And then all of a sudden, like, Todd. Did you see that news report like a week or two ago? Um, And they have audio from this. There was a school district that was talking about if we are going to have books that discuss something like the Holocaust, we have to have books that give the other side of it. Yeah. And people, the teachers were like, what's what's the other side? What's the other side of the Holocaust? Now, you may say to yourself, well, that's actually giving another side. But no, no, no. There are some areas that are obviously not okay. Mm-hmm. And cult-like thinking is where we're like, we're trying to pull people into 
like recognizing something negative or how do I say this? Something seeing that there's actually value in investigating why the Holocaust could have been understandable. Mm -hmm. I mean, now we can investigate how people got there into cult-like thinking again, because that's another version of it, right? How did these human beings get to a place where they were willing to do what they did? And that in itself is very nuanced. It's these steps Mm -hmm. that people take, and they sometimes don't even realize how far they've gotten into this thinking. And we all need to at least pay attention to why we think what we think and what the what common sense really means Mm -hmm. okay so that's why we talk about these things um so cognitive distortions are a negative or irrational uh, pattern of thinking that is not based on reality um so these kind of this kind of thinking these kind of patterns of thinking they play a role in diminishing motivation they lower your self-esteem they can contribute to anxiety depression substance abuse so Recognizing cognitive distortions is can actually be life-changing, okay, and actually creating new patterns of thinking so you can see things from a more real perspective. Like, let me give an example that I've been watching. So Monica Lewinsky, I've been watching Impeachment, okay, the show Impeachment. Skyler yep. and I have been watching it. Um, it's also on FX. And so where we are in the show right now is Monica has been like the news has come out that Bill Clinton had an affair with Monica Lewinsky. And she has kind of been living in this place where she really thinks that they had an important and they did have a relationship. Don't get me wrong. But she kind of viewed it through the lens of how can I stay close to him? It was really important. It was really like a meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. Like she had kind of a a distortion about what this was, right. as did he. Like, this is not a Monica problem. What I'm saying is she saw it through the lens of this is okay. Yeah. The the scene from last week's episode where she's actually watching the news and watching herself, like, you know, that very famous scene of where she's wearing the beret and he comes over, you know, it's like a, it's like a yeah, like handshaking a, line. Yeah, right. And he gives her a hug and she's there just like everybody else. And she went there thinking, this is an opportunity to see the man I'm dating, Mm -hmm. right? And she, you kind of see in that moment, she realizes what had been happening that whole time, that she was just one of all these people and that she was having a completely different experience and that she had a pattern of that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with other men who in power situations who had taken advantage of her and she, it broke open. Right. Like her cognitive distortion was like, oh my gosh. She, saw she it finally through a different saw lens. it through a different lens where she was like, how did I get here? And it is a, a moment that they don't even use dialogue to explain. You can just see it in her face. Mm. Like, wow, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and we've all had those experiences, right? Where we've been in a marriage maybe where you're like, oh no, this is normal. This is okay. And then you find texts or pictures or something on a phone or someone gives you a, a, a phone call or gives you information where you're like, oh my God, I thought all this was normal. And I realize that I haven't been seeing this for what it is. So I kind of feel like this is like some aha moments are like this. Mm-hmm. And what you said is cogn- cognitive distortion is an irrational pattern of thinking. So right. in other words, you think some, you think something, you think about something in a certain way and then all of a sudden like, the the fog clears Correct. and you see something with clarity in a way that you have been cloudy 
up to that point. So that's a great lead in, Todd, because cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which a lot of people who obviously therapists know what this is, most you know, most clinicians know what yeah, this is. Yeah, when I think of therapy, that's exactly what I think of. Well, and it hasn't been around forever. Mm-hmm. You know, CBT is, I wouldn't call it new, but it's fairly new compared to like psychodynamic theory or theories that were have been, you know, more Freudian, yeah. Jungian theories that have been around forever. But CBT is an approach that helps people recognize their cognitive distortions and replace them with more realistic thoughts. Mm -hmm. So it's just an opportunity to, I mean, the simplest way to talk about CBT, you question your thinking with the help of a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to go through different kinds of cognitive distortions so we can have an understanding of how we all have these like these can get extreme in cultish thinking. These can get extreme in abusive dynamics. But really, don't we all have cognitive distortions in our daily life? So would an example be um, the only way for, and I'm going to try to bring it back to parenting, the only way for my kid to be successful is if they're in AP honors and are in two uh, sports. That's a or cognitive distortion like right there. Right. Because that is a myopic belief system about this is the only way. And it could be from something you learned, something you experienced, or something you didn't experience where you did not feel happy in high school. And you believe that this is the way because that's how popular kids did it. That's how people who were successful did it. You created a story. And I'm not saying that the story doesn't have elements of truth. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that when you think it's the only way, that's actually the first one. You're doing a wonderful job leading oh, me into well, thank these you. things Here, without let, even knowing. Let me pat myself on the back I real know. quick. Thank you, Todd. Good job. Good job, Todd. So the first cognitive distortion is all or nothing thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's really what it's called. That's the clinical language, all or nothing thinking. Black and white thinking, polarized thinking. And this thinking involves viewing things in absolutes, right? So situations are always either... Everything or nothing, good or bad, success or failure. Yeah. So that's a perfect example. I um, I read something in my in my Take Back Your Life book that I've been reading the other day where there was somebody who had been in a cult and she was in absolute thinking because that's a big hook of cultish or abusive thinking is where you you there's somebody, either a leader or a group that tells you this is the way, this is the answer. Yeah. Okay. And people love certainty. Mm-hmm. And so it can Makes feel, us feel safe. Totally. So people can be like, well, I finally found the way. This is what I'm going to put all, you know, I'm going to put everything behind this. And anyone who doesn't think like me is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, this happens with religion all the time, right? Yeah. You know, like I'm right and you're going to hell. You know, it's a very sim- sure. simplistic way of yeah. of deciding that your way is the only way. One or the way. other. One or the other, right? And it is a, well, let me say this. This person that was in the book, I loved what she did, is when she got out of her, the group that she was in that had very absolute thinking, is she started, she would go to paint stores and she would pull like a swatch of like black and white with all the gray in between. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if any of you have painted your house and gotten swatches where there's all sorts of different colors. And she used that as an example of how much gray Mm -hmm. there is between black and white. There's pages of gray. And that it's, you know, it's metaphorical. It's, you know, it's like giving us like a visual of Mm -hmm. what we hope people can think. But there's so many stories between black and white. And although people feel very safe in black and white thinking, because they can rely on the, you know, 
I'm only going to focus my energy on this belief. I'm good. These people are bad. It tells a minuscule part of the story because there's so many other versions in between and so much history and so much education and so much language that people have not investigated. Sure. So anyway, um, CBT works to overcome this absolute thinking by recognizing, sorry, I'm coughing a lot today. I'm not quite sure why. I'm like, do you hear that? Yeah, you got a little tickle in your throat. I know. It's like I have to, but I'm drinking coffee, so you would think that would Sweetie, help. Sweetie, don't have absolute thinking about coffee means <laughs> coffee no coughing. should solve it. Um, but anyway, it's it's helping you kind of break apart or see the gray and that nothing is all or nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, so you just address this thinking and you increase your ability to see all sorts of options And it's not just about looking at other people differently. It's looking at yourself through a different lens. Because if you believe that you're either a success or a failure, you're not going to have a very good self-compassion practice. You're not going to be able to learn from the experiences that don't go the way that you think they should go. So this is really, it's obviously a value so you can see the world differently, but it's also how you can see yourself differently. Mm. I want to talk about our partner of the week and then we'll get into it. Uh, this is our third time with Cogna Springs, and they are a startup founded by mothers. They design and sell children's puzzles, activity kits, board games, books, and many more intended to spark the love of learning by tapping into children's curiosity about the world around them. All the products are high quality and durable, designed by parents, and focus on sustainability with biodegradable packaging, minimal plastics, and toys that help children understand the world around them. Ramya Sitagiri is the founder, like so many families, her household changed dramatically with the onset of the coronavirus. The biggest challenge she faced, like most parents, was engaging her son in meaningful screen-free time, which led to founding Cogna Springs along with her sister. Every product has a story behind it and evolved out of interaction with her kids. What does that mean to customers? It's already been tested out. So go to CognaSprings.com or simply click on the link in the show notes, which will take you directly to their homepage. And don't forget to enter Zen Parent 20 for a limited time, 20% off. CognaSprings.com. All right. What's after all or nothing? Overgeneralization. Okay. And I think so many people do this and I do this sometimes too. Okay. So overgeneralization is when we make a rule after maybe one event or a number of coincidental events. Mm-hmm. And so then we decide that something applies as always or never. Yeah, this would be for what I call inarguable language. Exactly. Like, for example, let's use something very simple. So on a really good day, we happen to experience or see the number seven a lot. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, we like drive by a truck that is 77. Mm -hmm. And that we're like, okay, my number is always seven. And then we go gamble and we're like, I'm going to bet seven. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm going to put $7. Well, you can't put $7 down when you gamble, but you know what I mean? We start to overgeneralize where we think this is the only number for us. Mm -hmm. And while I love the number seven, it's my favorite number to decide that it's the only number is similar to all or nothing thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just, I think a good rule of thumb is to, um, don't use always and never. I mean, there's a few occasions where it probably fits, but human beings, relationships, everything we're talking about, you always forget to turn in your homework Correct. or you never love me. Right. Nobody will ever want to date me. Nobody will ever want to date me. My life always ends up in a mess. Yeah. 
It's not true. It's not true. And and when you have this overgeneralization or this absolute thinking, you will miss what is working, mm-hmm. which is what I do a lot with CBT with clients is focusing on what's working of more positive psychology route. Now, not I don't use positive psychology and deny every yeah. other kind of treatment. What I do is like okay, yes, this thing went, did not go well the way you wanted it to, but how about the 10 other things that did? How do you, where do you put those in your brain? Well, and even in a conversational tone, we had Jason Gaddis on a month ago or whenever that was, and he was using phrases like, well, what I hear you saying, Kathy. Correct. And what's interesting about that, like, let's say you're in a relationship with your partner, your kid, and you, you know, somebody says something and we interpret it through our brain and we think we know what they meant. So we're like, well, you're not being kind to me. So instead of saying something like that, you can just reflect back like, what I hear you saying is that you're really unhappy the way I showed up last night. Right. And that all of a sudden keeps an openness to the conversation as opposed to absolutes, which goes to the, the first one you Absolutely. talked about. So this is kind of a, um, a practical tool is you want to stay away from inarguable language, which means language that you can't argue with because right it's absolute. Right. Or you could say things like the story I make up or what I hear you saying. These are like really important phrases that I use on a daily basis to try to just stay open to whatever happens to be in front of me. It's beautiful. And the, you know, to realize how this affects our life, overgeneralization is definitely associated with the development of anxiety disorders, mm-hmm. right? Because when people have a bad experience in one situation, they assume that the same thing is going to happen again. Yeah. And so that is why we get anxious about certain situations. Even OCD is very connected to this. I have to close the door four times. Mm-hmm. I, if I have, you know, like we've all, we can sit here and point at people and say that person has OCD. I don't. But how many of us have versions of like, I need to lock the door and check it twice. Well, like, and that's the gray that we talked about exactly, with the swatches. Like exactly. We all we all deal with anxiety. Some people deal with it, and it's a much larger part of their existence. Another, most of us, or there's others that don't. I think we all have a relationship with anxiety. Exactly. Every single one. Is it a disorder? I don't know. Like, how do you measure when something is a disorder and when something's not? I'm sure there's smart doctors and therapists and coaches that can do that, but just knowing that we all deal with it. Um, probably will help the person in front of you who happens to be seeking help with their anxiety. And that helps us with our empathy so much more because uh, the whole idea that people that there are certain people that struggle with mental wellness, but you don't Mm -hmm. is such a, an absolute thinking in itself. Like I'm okay. You're not. And that's baloney. Mm -hmm. Like the ability to share our own struggles with whatever challenges they may be, you know, it doesn't matter what we label them. It's not about, I have clinical depression or I have clinical anxiety. It's, I experience these things and this is the way it looks. And this is how I, you know, the best part of those stories is this is what I do to support myself Mm -hmm. because that's what we can share with other people. You know, that's the gift. But if we pretend we've never experienced it, we can't help anybody. So, okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, What's the next one? Mental filters. All right, what are those? Okay, so a mental filter, it's the opposite of overgeneralization, but it has the same outcome. So instead of taking one small event and generalizing it inappropriately, the mental filter takes one small event and focus on focuses on it exclusively. So it filters out anything else. I need an example. I don't okay. get any of that. <clears throat> so for example, I have gotten, this is just from the other day, I have gotten all this lovely feedback about my book. Okay, lovely. Mm-hmm. Like just the kindest comments. And then the other day on Goodreads, I got my first like 
I can't remember if it was a two or three star review. And it was basically a nice review. It said really nice things about the book, but it said, this person said, but it made me feel bad about my parenting. So I'm going to give it this many stars, Mm -hmm. which kind of was so interesting to me. I said to you, I worked so hard to have this book not make you feel bad. Like it's a compassionate book. Like there's no reason to feel bad. Mm -hmm. Like the whole intention, but I digress. Mm -hmm. What do you think I focused on? all the kind reviews that I've gotten sure. or this one person who's like, I felt bad. Got it. My mental filter just focuses exclusively on this one thing. And I forget all of this other positive stuff. Yeah. And, and again, I'm, I'm fine now and she has every right to do that. Like there's no, like nobody's wrong. No, but nobody's wrong. And isn't that just our, um, brains, you know, our brain does that all the time. It filters out all the good stuff and just looks at our environment for what's wrong. And in partnership, we do this a lot. Like, you know, you know, we show up every day. We do the things we do. We help take care of the kids. We connect with each other. We see each other. And then one day our partner forgets to take out the garbage. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you never do these mm-hmm. things. And it's like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. That was one thing, you know, in a full day of things that this person did do doesn't mean you can't bring it up. It just means that never and always lens is not great. Right. You know? Um, so it's basically filtering out the positive and focusing on the net negative. There you go. And obviously that has a detrimental impact on us. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um, how many are there by the way? Uh, I'm just going to, there's a bunch, but I'm just going to go through as many as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, discounting the positive. So basically this means, oh gosh, don't we all do this? I I hear my girls do this sometimes and I'm always like, don't do that. Basically discounting the positive is a cognitive distortion about invalidating good things that have happened to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's similar to mental filtering, but instead of ignoring the positive, you actually reject them. So this happened with one of our daughters, um, like a couple weeks ago, she actually got an honor at school and it was like a big honor and we were like, wow, this is really great. And she's like, yeah, it's it's not a thing. And I'm like, it it is a thing. And if one of your friends or somebody else you knew had had this experience, you would be cheering them on. But she's actively discounting it as a non-thing because she was like, I mean, I'm I'm going too far into this. She didn't necessarily say this, but some of us are like, well, if it's happening to me, then it's a non-thing. I have a different example. Okay. When I go to the casino, we talked about this on podcast number 548. We played highlights of this um, uh, Freakonomics podcast called The Reasons to Be Cheerful. And it talked about negativity bias, loss aversion. And when I go to the casino and if I win 200 bucks, it's no big deal. Right. If I lose 200 bucks, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. I know. Which basically paints my experience into a corner where I'm going to be either neutral or mad. Exactly. So that's kind of, so I discount the, like if you're, it's kind of like I think of Brene, who's not the first person who said this is you can't shut down the bad feelings and only get the good ones. You almost need to have an openness of experiencing loss and joy and allow the loss and the sadness to come in. Because if you don't do that, it's really hard to experience the joy. And the, the thing is, is it's a practice when we realize how our neurobiology works in that because we're trying to survive, we are going to notice negative things because it's necessary for our survival, mm-hmm. right? We have to pay attention to things that could be um, threatening, 
in order to maintain our existence. So our brain is going to like go haywire when something threatening happens and and we're going to remember that more. So that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. So if you accept that about your neurobiology, then what you realize is that you have to have a practice where you notice what's working. That's why gratitude journaling works. Mm. Like, and it's not just me saying- You're trying to balance out the survival hardwiring that we have. Correct. You actually have to actively participate in noticing what's working. You can do this through journaling narratively. You can do this through a list of 10 things that are working for you. It could be every day saying to somebody, like one of my daughters comes home from school and tells us about her whole day. Yeah. And she shares every aspect of it, the good, the bad. And it's very- she doesn't just focus on the bad. She talks about the good things too. And it reminds her of all the things that worked that day. This reminds me, I just finished your book and we were on chakra seven and uh-huh. we talked about devotion and what you meant by that part of chapter or whatever it was, is that we need to actively participate and practice the the things that we know that we need to live a whatever spiritual fulfilled life or whatever it is. So we need to be devoted to meditating, um, gratitude journaling and things like that. And unless we're doing that, our lizard brain is probably going to win. You know, I know it's not a battle, but we have this prefrontal cortex, which tells us, Hey, gratitude journaling is probably not such a bad idea. So we need to like compensate and balance out our lizard brain, which is scanning the environment for threats with the devotion to focusing on the positive. Yeah, really the devotion chapter is about be devoted to yourself. Yeah. Be like devotion. I actually, that word is out there for anybody, but I, uh, one of my favorite authors, Danny Shapiro, wrote a whole book called Devotion. Mm. And I loved it so much because it was about developing these practices for ourselves. And there is no absolute way. Like I have my way, your way is playing and moving mm-hmm. and you are devoted like you will say i have to go out and i have to move or i have to go play or i have to go play pickleball by the way the high school here in town now has a pickleball club about time you but you can't join it because it's just for I students could teach it well. i could school those high schoolers <laughs> well it's like finding like for me it's yoga and meditation but i don't say to everybody you all have to do yoga and meditation mm-hmm. that's absolute thinking well and my thing is i do not like journaling and right. I, I, almost every successful book I right. read, they're like, you want to develop a practice. One of the very first things you want to do is gratitude journaling. Right. And I've tried to do the paragraph form. I've tried to do sentences. I've tried to do bullet points. It's just not my thing, at least at this moment. And it hasn't been for any of the moments in the last 20 years of my life. What if before we go to bed, I said, tell me five things you love today? I'm, I'm willing to try that for sure. <clears throat> because there's something about that that is more in line with the way that we talk and you being able to wrap your head around those things without it being an activity. Well, and I also know that there's something magical happens when you put something down on paper. True. It, when it gets comes your out head. of your brain and onto your keyboard or through a pen and paper. Um, having said that, I just, it, it, it drains me. It's a draining exercise right. for me. So it's not right. So it's not right for me. Right now. Right now. You might choose it later. Sure. So you don't want to be like, I don't, I'm never going to journal. No, That's I'm, not true. I'm not journaling today. Today. And so you find other ways. Like um, one of the things you brought up, Renee, one of the things I appreciated about her book writing process, at least for, I think it was Braving the Wilderness, is she did not like to sit at a computer and type. Mm-hmm. So she found a new way to write a book, which was sit in a room with people talk to them about what she believes and they type it. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I like to do it myself, but I appreciate that other people write in their own unique ways. I think, again, absolute thinking is book writing looks this way, Mm -hmm. journal writing looks this way, and devotional practices get to be your own. You get to create, this is where we go back into chakra six of imagination and dreaming. It's like, what, what could you think up and dream up that works for you? So number four, you said was discounting the positive. I want to turn it on its head and say another thing that probably needs to be considered is discounting the negative. Correct. Right? Correct. And and I think that actually comes up oh, really? um, later, uh, blame, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, where it's, it's somebody else's fault all the time. No, what I'm saying is discounting the negative is like the negative emotions. Like people just kind of see the world through oh. rose-colored glasses. Sure, sure, sure. Denial. Denial mm-hmm. of, um, of the reality of the situation. Right. Think... Right. Um, Alec Baldwin's character in Friends, Parker, what was his uh-huh. name? Parker. Parker So yeah. Massapequa. Massapequa. He discounted a lot of the negative. Right. And that can be annoying because it's also not reality. Yes. You know, just the same as the, um, it's another black and white thinking. Yeah. Everything's always good all the time. Right. That's not true. Yeah. And it's okay that it's not. Like, I think some people are like, but if you tell me it's not good, then I have to feel sad all the time. Yes. You do not need to feel sad well, all the time. Well, or feel sad. Right. You can yeah. feel sad and you'll be okay. And it's necessary, important, and it gets you back to joy. And sadness is called being part of human. Correct. As is fear and anger and joy and everything else. I know. It all, everything leads to the same place. There is nothing new. Anything Todd and I are talking about, nothing's new. It's all the same. We should call it the Nothing New Podcast. There's nothing new here. There's nothing to see here. We have nothing. <laughs> we have nothing. What is that from? There's nothing to see here. That's, are you talking about Naked Gun? When he's like, everything's exploding. And yeah. he's like, there's nothing to see here. I forget which part that is, though. I don't even remember no, either. Okay. I mean, and I mean, that phrase is used all the time, mm. you know, in cop shows and stuff yeah. like that. But anyway, next one. Yeah. Jumping to conclusions. So this is... I this is used with people at clients I have people I know who are highly defensive okay and they're highly defensive because they've been hurt before mm-hmm. and they are trying to jump in front of something before they get hurt so they do a lot of mind reading mm-hmm. saying that they know that you're they know how you're going to react they're like you know they you know someone is going to react in a particular way and I know it's going to happen. And they're trying to jump ahead of something thinking that they know how everybody's thinking. Sure. Okay. So mind reading or fortune telling when you predict how events are going to unfold, trying to avoid something difficult, Mm -hmm. you're basically saying, this isn't going to work out. I already know it's not going to work out. I already know this person isn't going to like me. Why bother going? Mm -hmm. There is a lot connected with that. There is a sense of defensiveness, unwillingness to be disappointed, too cool. Mm-hmm. I'm too cool for it. You know, I don't need that. Yeah. Um, and basically it can it can be a part of life and death situa- situations like I'll never be able to stop drinking. I'll never be able to stop using drugs. I'll never, you know, this belief that I already know this is going to turn out bad. So basically it's, we don't know anything. We don't know anything anything. And we don't know. Here's the part that becomes really mystical for me is when we start an adventure of any kind, if it be dealing with addiction or finally looking at our anxiety and like, you know, figuring it out or finally talking about things that are difficult, things show up that we could have never predicted. Mm -hmm. Like I, I did a podcast interview last week and somebody asked me about like, how did you start writing your book and how did it turn out to be the way it is? And as I started telling the story, I'm like, this is so random and I don't even know if it's interesting. I'm not going to do it right now. 
but it's all these like pieces. And then this person came in and then this person said this, you couldn't have predicted it. I couldn't have written the story the way it went. And that's true. That's where the universe, as you know, as it says in the alchemist, you know, rises up to meet you. Mm -hmm. And you can think about it in a mystical way, or you can just think about it as once you start to put effort out there, you shift dynamics in every way, shape and form. Everything starts to change. Like when you, when your wings flap one way, things happen differently on the other side of the world. Well, so. and where I go with this is just curiosity, which is such an important word. Absolutely. Like, can we just be curious instead of judgmental? Judgmental would be jumping to conclusions. So don't jump to conclusions that your partner's a certain way, your kids are a certain way, you're a certain way. Can Curiosity is such a wonderful word to integrate for me. And I think it is for others. And there's an element of confidence. Like it can be really frustrating to me as a friend or when Mm -hmm. I'm in a therapist role or whatever it may Mm -hmm. be when someone says, well, I wasn't going to tell you this because I knew you'd be upset about it. And I'm like, wait a second. Don't take away my power. Give me the chance to respond instead of deciding how I'm going to respond. And they're basing that on their own experiences, which are not my experiences. So you may say, I'm afraid Kathy may react this way because of what I have experienced in life so far, but you and I have not had the same experiences. And so you don't really know how I'm going to react. And it's, and same, you know, kids do this to us, right? You know, like, well, I wasn't going to tell you because you were going to do this or that. That's not the case. And that's not how I feel. And you're, you're assuming you know, which we know what that does. That's right. Um, so we have a few more minutes. You want to do one more? Or? Um, let me see which, there's so many. Okay, let's just do, let's see if we can fit in two more. How about one more? Really? Yeah. Magnification. Okay. So it's exaggerating the importance of shortcomings and minimizing the importance of desirable qualities. But it's similar to men, uh, to mental filtering and discounting the positive. So let me do another one. Um, scrap that. Forget scrap. about magnification. Well, it's the kind of the same concept. Yeah, so I don't feel different. like. Um, uh, so hmm, hmm, hold on. Do, how, about, do, do, how about this do, one? Do. Yeah. Should statements. Ugh. Should statements involve always thinking about things that make you think you should or must do them? I hear these from women all the time and from myself as well. But this is as someone who works with women all the time, I hear shoulds all the time. Hmm. I hear it from my college students too. But these type of statements alone can make you feel anxious and worried, right? I should be doing this. So they're self-defeating ways that we talk to ourselves. And it's kind of like an unattainable standard that we're trying to reach. Well, and most of us do use the word should either in our internal dialogue or external dialogue. And instead of like beating ourselves up over it, it's a indicator that something might be out of alignment. Like whenever you think you should be doing something, you're probably not fully invested in what that is. Like check your head, check your heart, check your gut, like really test on whether or not you should bake cookies for the cookie sale or not. Because if you're not all in, then is there another way that you can show up to support the school or whatever it is? And that's one small example. But instead of being like, oh, I, I, I refuse to use that word instead be curious about when it shows up and what you can learn from it absolutely like it should comes out of our mouths no matter what we do it's not like we have to avoid the word but like todd said it's an interesting practice that you can have and sometimes we don't even say it out loud it just comes into our heads like all the time i had moments yesterday where like oh like i have some open space i should clean the house and then my question is 
does open space always mean I need to work, A? Mm -hmm. B, didn't I just do that two or three days ago? And do I always have to prove how I'm doing something? Like what CBT does, you know, going back to cognitive behavioral therapy, is it does this practice of questioning these thoughts that we have allowed to become almost like laws in our head where this is the way a life is lived. And what CBT does with the help of a therapist is it helps you work through it and dismantle it and like break it apart. And it doesn't mean that it still doesn't show up, but you have different tools to at least question, is this true? Is the way I'm thinking absolutely true? And um, the vast majority of the time, Todd, it is not. That's so right. cognitive distortions, CBT. Nice job, sweetie. Uh, yeah. Um, so I do want to do a plug for Team Zen. We just did Zen Talk 130 last week. We talked about 15-year-old boys, difficult grandmas. Difficult remember, grandmas, remember yep, that one? I do. Eating disorders and existential teenagers. Yes. So we've done 130 of these. When you sign up, you get access to all 130, and you can do a search for the topic you're interested, or you can join us in a community discussion where we support one another. First month is free. Go to zenparentingradio.com. And you know what I haven't plugged for a long time is my book is for sale. Yeah. It's you can pre-order it right now. Zenparentingradio.com or Zen Parenting Radio book, or excuse me, Zen Parenting book, either place or at any place that you can buy a book. But um, pre-orders are being taken, so go grab it. Um, and don't forget about our partner, Jeremy Craft. He's a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, avidco.net, 630-956-1800. Tell Jeremy that we sent you. And then um, what else? I coach, toddadamscoaching.com for guys. First, first session's free. And then uh, that's about all I have. You got anything else, sweetie? No, that's about it. All right. We will catch you all next week. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners and an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group, and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one -on -one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs>